Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. And uh, I'm thrilled to be joined by incoming House member, Dr. Michelle Al. Dr. Al, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Well, my pleasure. (laughs) I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, I've been following you for a good bit on Twitter, and you're a great Twitter follow, by the way. Um, So uh, you're transitioning from the state Senate to the state House. I think aspirational politicians probably would do that the exact opposite way, but you you were kind of a, a little bit of a victim of, of some, some state redistricting, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because that actually is one of the most common questions I get asked in terms of people being perplexed about um, my past mm-hmm. in the state legislature. So what happened in um, the most recent session in 2021 is we had a redistricting uh, special session, which, mm-hmm. as you know, Happens every 10 years based on the census that we try to redraw our electoral maps so that every district has roughly the same number of people in it. That is the mathematical uh, calculation that takes place for redistricting. However, as we know, in many states, um, especially states that uh, have state legislatures do the redistricting um, process and draw those maps, often this is used as an excuse or a way for the majority party to further entrench its um, its power and yep. its hold on the state legislature for another decade. Uh, so that's sort of what happened with uh, my state Senate district that I currently represent, which is Senate District 48. Uh, it was one of the only seats that was targeted to be flipped back to Republican majority control. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, uh, what happened was uh, I, it was my first year in the legislature. Um, I really enjoy the work. I think I've been effective at this, at this job and I am not ready to stop doing it. I don't think that it's right that the Republican majority gets to uh, choose its own voters rather than having the voters choose their legislators. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided that I want to stick with the work and that was what was important. And it really doesn't matter what seat I'm in. It doesn't matter what um, chamber I'm in yeah. because the work is the same and the work continues. So I ran for an open house seat, which is in my district. Uh, and I, I do think that a lot of people feel or at least their inclination and instinct is that uh, politicians or legislators tend to sort of climb a ladder, yeah. I guess, right? To one from, you know, one seat, like, you know, a local city council seat, then you run for the seat legislature, then mm-hmm. you run for Congress, that there's this like presumed way that people do this. I don't agree with that. I think you go where the work is, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the work that I like to do is in the state legislative level. So that's why I decided to stick around yeah. and run for this open house seat. And I won my election. So that's uh, that's refreshing, honestly. Uh, that you, you don't you don't interpret this as a, a step back or, or or a lack of aspiration or anything like that. You just want to stay in there and get the work done. I I appreciate that. On that note, you and I actually uh, we tweeted back and forth a little bit when you were uh, prepping to go on leave from your job to do this. I mean, this is a forty day session and. It's a pretty big state, geographically speaking, so there are a lot of folks who literally have to pack up and leave their hometown to to be up here for a 40-day session. It's not something that just anybody can do, though. Joe Average, Jane Average, with an hourly job or a, a base salary job that doesn't allow them to be away that long uh, can't even consider running for office. And d- does that leave uh, a voice out among the representation? It definitely precludes many people from running for state legislature. And these are people that we actually need their voices and experiences 
at the state capitol when we're determining many types of policy that we deal with and vote on every day. Mm. So I'll just give you like the lay of the land is the state um, legislative session, as you noted, runs 40 days Mm -hmm. out of the year. They're not uh, consecutive days, right? Mm -hmm. So every week we're not meeting every single day, Monday through Friday. Um, The schedule doesn't get released really until very close to the time that we convene. Sometimes it's released week to week. So it makes it a very eccentric type of schedule and you can count on at least being at the state capitol in Atlanta, roughly between um, the second Monday in January, which is when we're constitutionally required to convene, until about you know end of March, beginning of April, sort of depending on how um, the session goes mm-hmm. and as determined by the majority uh, party. So this is this is quite a chunk of time, right? As you noted, legislators who live further out from Atlanta um, really do tend to just camp out here. They get uh, rentals, apartments, uh, short stay hotels, and stay here for the, you know, at least during the week, the entire time of session. And that is, um, I would say, you know, I I live closer into Atlanta, so I'm able to commute in day to day, but that is pretty disruptive for them, for their family lives, for their professional lives, certainly. And I will say for me personally, that if I lived further out, if I did live in a rural district, if I lived in Savannah or close to the border um, of Georgia, that I, I would not be able to do this job. Because right. I, I frankly would not be able to leave my family for those long stretches of time. Um, and I think it, it is an impediment for a lot of people. Right. Um, I work in my primary job as a physician. Right. I work at the hospital in the ORs. I'm an anesthesiologist. So when I'm in session, I actually have to take a leave of absence because my job schedule and how we schedule our, you know, I'll just call them shifts at the hospital, even though they're not we don't work on a shift um, uh, sort of design. Mm-hmm. It, it precludes me from being able to do it day to day or picking up a shift here, picking up a shift there. That's just not how um, our practice works. Sure. So I have to not do clinical work for basically a quarter of the year. Mm. And what that also means, even though, you know, this is part of what you metabolize in taking on the responsibility, I don't get paid for a quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Which is fine. This is part of the calculation that I made personally and that we made as a family and that my practice made in allowing me to do this um, public service. But that's not something everyone can do, right? And we think about the types of voices we wish were at the Capitol. If we had more teachers, right? If we had more people in social work, Mm -hmm. if we had people who were, um, you know, working class families who are raising kids now, these are the voices that we need at the Capitol because this is the type of um, experience that we need that affects the policy that we're trying to pass, right? But a lot of times because of the rigidity of this type of work, and frankly, the pay scale is really quite low compared to uh, many other state legislatures in the country, it precludes um, many of these type of people from being able to have a voice at the table mm-hmm. and being able to affect this type of policy. So I, I do think that that's, that's an issue and it skews the legislature towards um, a group of people that tends to be, let's just be honest, more settled, more wealthy, older, right? People mm-hmm. who are retired and mm-hmm. obviously have a leg up on being able to, to accommodate this type of schedule. Yep. And that's not reflective of um, what Georgia looks like. It's not reflective of our voters. And in some ways it really creates a non-representative democracy. So I do think that that's an issue we need to look at. So uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword though, because if you go about thinking, uh, well, maybe we need to give pay raises, it looks like you're giving yourself a pay raise instead of setting it up so that folks who would have to take a leave from their job wouldn't be as financially burdened by doing so. Uh, how how do you overcome that? Right. That is always a huge problem. I will note that the legislature did approve um, 
I believe the first pay raise in about two decades for state legislatures this last session. Mm. Um, my first year in office, I got paid, uh, you know, we all got paid the same amount, um, be it in the Senate or the House. It was about $15,000 a year. Um, this was sort of the austerity pay for that year um, for state legislators that they had voted in because of uh, COVID cuts and that type of thing. The base pay was about $17,000 a year. And just this past session, we raised it to, I believe, about $22,000 a year um, for work that is considered part-time, right? Because we, we talked about how it's a 40-day session. So we're really only physically at the Capitol for, um, for the first quarter of the year. Um, but to, to think of it as a part-time job, I think, is um, uh, deceptive in the sense that it really uh, needs to be uh, a, a bigger time commitment to mm -hmm. do the job well, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think it, it sets up a mindset where it is sort of, um, you know, it shouldn't be a hobbyist's, uh, you know, activity, right, right. To, to be a state legislature. And if we consider it to be an important job, which I think we all do, and we certainly frame it that way when we run for office, we need to treat it as uh, an important job, and we need to treat the people who work in those jobs as professionals, not just by uh, paying them uh, in a way that respects the work that they're doing, but giving them uh, resources such as staff, you know, staff around the year to help deal with constituent issues and help pass legislation, all these types of things, and um, to really allow us to do this important job well, right? And I think you're right that in arguing for these things, it tends to be framed, and I understand this, right, because people are very reluctant to bring this up, tends to be framed as legislators trying to line their own pockets or like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to, to enrich themselves in their position, which uh, is often the argument made against, uh, you know, increasing resources to state legislators. Um, I, I do think that that's the wrong way to look at it. And I think the right way to look at it is to increase the access of many people, regardless of their socioeconomic background and regardless of um, their personal living situation, increase the access for all people to be able to run for office and to be able to sustain doing this type of work. So I know because you're in the minority party, which is pretty common here in the state of Georgia at the General Assembly, it's hard to march into office with uh, a set of priorities. But that being said, what are your priorities going into this legislative session? I think you're right that as a member of the minority party, you have to be um, cognizant of the fact that you're not going to go in and get every single piece of legislation that you have in your pocket passed, right? That's just the political reality of uh, the state we live in and the country we live in and, and the political times that we're living through right now. Mm -hmm. My priorities personally, because I am a practicing physician, and I do also have a master's degree in public health, is very centered around healthcare policy and more generally speaking, increasing access to and quality of healthcare here in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And most of my legislation does center around these key priorities, even though some of the issues that I bring up, people don't classically think of as public health issues, mm -hmm. but they absolutely are. I'm gonna bring up two types of legislation that I have um, in my stack for this year, just so you can see the different types of health policy and the way I approach them. Some of them are more classic, sort of wonky, um, you know, sort of granular patient-based issues. One is a bill that I have that is to ensure that patients who require ground medical uh, emergency transport to a hospital, for example, if you have crushing chest pain and you call an ambulance because mm -hmm. you think you might be 
having a heart attack, that uh, insurance companies need to cover that cost of the ground ambulance transport, regardless of if the ambulance company is considered in or out of network. Yeah, because you don't really have the time to check that out if you're having a heart attack. (laughs) No, absolutely not. And when you call an ambulance, you call because you're saying, I think my dad's having a stroke. Can you send an ambulance? This is our address. You don't say, hey, my dad's having a stroke. Are you in network? Yeah. Are you, can you send an in-network ambulance? Can, let me look at my list of in-network mm-hmm. ambulance. People don't even know that ambulance companies are in or out of network, right? You're right. So I think it really is um, a problem that I hear a lot from patients. And I think it's in the spirit of a bill that we passed in 2020, which was um, a surprise medical billing bill that ensured that uh, for patients requiring emergency care, that regardless of if their uh, all their practitioners or all their services were considered in or out of network, mm-hmm. and even within the same hospital system, like you could be at an in-network hospital, but maybe your radiologist is considered out of network because of the eccentricities and mm-hmm. the, frankly the brokenness of the American healthcare system that we deal with these issues. That you know that care needs to be covered at the same in-network rate if it's uh, truly you know justified in emergency care. So this just carves in ground emergency medical transport, which I think most people can understand. And it's a problem that a lot of patients deal with. So that's one type of very obvious, this is clearly a healthcare insurance health access issue. But some of the other um, issues that I deal with relate to gun safety, which Mm. is a huge problem in America overall. It is a big issue in Georgia, which tends to have some of the most lax gun safety laws in the country. We have have the new one that I think just takes effect, was it yesterday, where you can Conceal carry without a license now? Yeah, we signed it. Not to say we, but Governor Kemp signed that <laughs> bill into law in, um, I believe, April, basically yeah. right after we uh, gaveled out of the last session. Um, and, the, you know, in, in a state that has such lax gun safety laws and is making it increasingly easy for people to access uh, firearms and um, increase the risk that people will be injured from firearms. Mm -hmm. It's really something that we need to look at because um, obviously gun safety is a huge public health and public safety issue. Mm -hmm. And just as of 2021, it is the number one cause of death in children and adolescents in this country. So I don't think we get to treat it as a political issue, at least not anymore, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that this should be seen through a political lens. I view it as a public health and public safety issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my bills that I have that I'm dropping this session has to do with a safe storage law, which basically requires people who have firearms that could be accessed by minors, uh, you know, in your home or anywhere to have those safely locked up because that is a huge cause of, you know, accidental deaths or, you know, guns being used for um, suicide, which we don't talk about a lot in terms of gun violence. We always think about mass shootings because those are the most like showy types of gun violence that we see in the news. But suicide is actually the number one cause of of gun death in this country. Mm And especially when we talk about uh, children and lessons and mental health and that type of focus, that this is something we really need to focus on as a public health issue and as a very you know, easy, straightforward solution, as many other public health solutions can tend to be. Absolutely. We're on with Dr. Michelle Au, who is uh, representing Georgia House Seat 50 heading into this legislative session when they uh, they gavel in next Monday. Uh, I'm going to ask you to hang on for just a second. We've got to take a quick break. I'm up against a hard break here, and we're going to come back, and we'll have about five more minutes with you. Dr. Michelle Al joining us, and uh, grateful for your time. If you'll give me just a second, we'll come right on back here on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, and at americaoneradio.com. If you'd like to call the show, text the show, 404-919-2725. 
More Ron Show on America One Radio after this.